and welcome to The Cage Equation with your host, Malcolm Mickelson, and me, Drake Mickelson, where we'll select, scrutinize, and solve the que- this question about a Nicolas Cage movie. Did Cage fail the movie, or did the movie fail Cage? Spoiler, the answer is always the latter. Proceeding with the undeniable that Nicolas Cage can only create perfection, we will place the movie's failings at the feet of another. To that end, we will start with a Metacritic score and assign culpability for each point nicked in the following three Cage boards. Direction, script, and Cage stars. Who blended this movie's cageosity? We are about to find out. This week, we will be watching, we have just watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, released just two weeks ago. It was budgeted at 30 million so far in the last, as of like three weeks in, we're looking at about 23.9 million. It was 107 minutes long. And Malcolm, what were your thoughts about this movie? It was awesome. It had it was just as ridiculous as you think it'd be. And it was weirder than I thought it would be because they have a de-age Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's just awesome. And we should warn everybody right now. Obviously, this is probably one of the first movies we can actually say there are spoilers. Um, so if you have not seen the movie, we probably are going to discuss a few things that happened during doing the movie. Although, honestly, I, I think the... The plot of the movie is pretty much exactly what we thought it was going to be going in. Um, so we're not looking at anything. Uh, I'm not going to spoil too much. Um, they don't kill Nicolas Cage off at the end. Um, there's a happy ending. And pretty much if you've seen the previews, you know exactly what you're getting into when you get there. Yes. So uh, I'll do a quick summary of the movie. Nicolas Cage is a fading star in Hollywood. Um, due to some financial difficulties, has accepted a appearance fee for a very wealthy person. Where I, I can't even remember what what island they went to. They're in like Spain, some or like off the coast of Spain, I think. Yeah, it's like off off Italy or coast of Spain or something like that. Anyway, he accepts the uh, he accepts the invitation for a million dollars to be at this guy's birthday. Um, when he gets there, he meets. Pedro Pascal, who is playing um, Javi. Javi. He plays Javi. Javi. And they become quick friends after a quick trip on LSD. After that, we, of course, find out that the, I believe the CIA or the DEA or some federal agency is following Javi because he's a, is supposed to be the head of a cartel. And then hijinks ensues as they wind their way through um, drug lords and the CIA until they end up back in Hollywood making the movie of Javi's Dreams. I don't really think there's anything else to add on that. Um, The Metacritic score was, let's see, or is as of this point. 67. 67, so we're going to be looking at 33 points to uh, distribute uh, for blame. It started out before it even came out. It was 100% Metacritic. So this is a moving target. It may go up or it may go down by the end of the month, too. But I'd say 67 is probably pretty close to where it's going to remain. Yeah. So as we usually do, let's talk about first about Nicolas Cage's performance and why he made this movie 100 before somebody else got a hold of it and ruined it. I think it's, I think it's actually, I mean, most Nicolas Cage's uh, performances are pretty brave in one way or another. He makes some choices. He always makes choices. But uh, in this one, 
he had no problem making himself look like an absolute ass or heel. Um, somebody who just was all into was was completely narcissistic in every single way. And so um, I mean, we see a few actors do this to do a take on themselves. Um, but this is this one was pretty incredible that he just went ahead and went forth. Yeah, and he was uh, he. I'm assuming he overplayed how over the top he is trying to get roles. Also, um, his reading in a Brooklyn was it supposed to be a Brooklyn accent? I don't even. <laughs> it's supposed to be an accent from somewhere, um, and he screams it at. Um, oh, it was a doctor. Bo- it was it was the Boston Boston accent. Yes, and which it is. is- Awful. And the director yeah. keeps going, you don't have to do the accent. No, I practice the accent. You don't have to do. And the Boston accent, I think, is one of those that where every actor who's ever tried it usually gets completely blasted for it, unless you're from Boston. They're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty picky about their accents out there. Um, other, unless you're Matt Damon or, or, uh, or Ben Affleck, I think, I think you're, you're not really they, allowed. They are actually from Boston. Though. Yeah, they are. So they're, they're okay. allowed. They're allowed to have the Boston accent. But, and, and, of course, Marky Mark. Um, so. But everybody yeah, he, else is. Uh, he's, he's really self-absorbed. He's really over the top. He has a great song that he sings to his daughter during her birthday, Drunkenly. Um, which I so, wish I could remember the words <clears throat> off the so, top of my head. But it's, just, it's awesome. I was so glad they cut off after that one just a few few seconds. I have a feeling yeah. that it was going to get even more painful. I don't know. It's, it's it's hard because the entire movie was supposed to basically be was nothing but cagesms all the way through. What what, what do you refer to him as? A shamanic, 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 thespian instincts. Yes, that was repeated that's, uh, several times. That's how he was able to read Javi so well and know that Javi was not. In fact, the leader of the cartel, better than the CIA. Who plays the um? Who was the other CIA? There's Tiffany Haddish, and then who's the other CIA agent? Um, the other guy was, and actually, he's been in several things before. He's, I think, he's a pretty big name comedian. I just can't. Is that Ike Ike Barinholtz? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, he's a pretty big. I've seen him in a lot of stuff too. He's been in like Suicide Squad and a few other things like that. Um, he's usually the basically the same party played here, which is kind of the wise guy, jackass. Um, Tiffany Haddish was good in it too, um, but I think Nicholas Cage basically by design was stealing every scene that he was in. Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest disappointment about those two is the line from the trailer that they cut out where she says, have you seen Croods too? And he yells about Con Air and Face Off. Um, no, I haven't it was seen. a big moment in the trailer. And then I think they cut it. And instead he said, he just said, why the fuck have I seen Croods too? I'm a 40 year old man. And they moved on. Yeah. I think they could have probably, I mean, that goes more to where we're going to be talking about some of the problems with the movie, but they could have yeah. veered, veered more into that than some of the other stuff they did. How did you like the uh, alter ego of Nikki? Were you 100 percent on board with that one? I don't know. I think they could have. I think if they were going to cut something, they could have cut that part out. It was weird, and I don't like de aging technology, anyways. Even when it's supposed to look bad. Um, yeah, Nikki was a weird addition to the whole thing. I think. I think yeah, they overplayed it too. It's too much. I don't know. 
what they and what they were going he, for. He was talking like the opposite of what Nick Cage has been doing. Like I thought it was weird. They kind of made it seem like he had he was still like a huge action star and hadn't done all these weird movies. Um, and like that was part of his internal struggle was whether or not to be a full action star and or not. Yeah, and the the player Nikki is is off of a famous interview that you can see on YouTube of a young Nicolas Cage jumping out and basically being Nikki on a on a talk show, at which one point he actually removes his shirt, um, just says all sorts of crazy things. I'm not sure what was going on. I think he was well, he was what 19 or 20, and had just been in some big movies. Yeah, it was it was really early in his career. Yeah, and he was not a, at all. I don't think he's ever been really worried about what people think about him. So in this one, he was just excited and he just went with it. But I, I think it was probably my least part, favorite part was actually was that part. Cause it, when it first started, I thought it was going to be, as I, I started laughing, I thought it was going to be really good. And then that character was just a little bit too, too grating. Um, I think uh, the only good part, he had one of my favorite lines which is after they have a very long kiss and Nicholas Cage and Nikki, he yells, tell them Nick Cage smooch is good. Yes. That is one. It's probably my favorite part of the entire movie. Yeah, that was good. And then of course, I think the other part with, with Nick Cage was he was really, I like the fact that he was really willing to play the straight man, uh, Pedro Pascal. I think it was became pretty obvious probably between those two that, where, where a lot of the comedy was coming from. And he just was like, just played right into it too. So I think he, I mean, how bad could you be playing yourself? But I think he did a really good job. He's really brave with uh, <laughs> being an asshole. <laughs> right. What do you, do you think? have any uh, favorite cage, I guess, what, what are we called? Cage outs? Cage outs. Um, I, I really like the, at the, towards the end when they were doing some of the action stuff, when he was uh, yelling, and he, would, he did a lot of the over-shoulder looks. And they kind of just played to a lot of this stuff he'd done. But I think that one of the funniest parts is when they were both on LSD and they were, like, trying to get over the wall. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's another, just, another one of the parts from the trailer, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the trailer kind of may have hit some of the high, high points of the entire, yeah. of the entire movie. Um, I, the whole movie's a cage out. I think it was a, the, from start to finish. Um, if anything, he was probably a little bit too subdued at times. Um, and I think a lot of that was when we're coming up here, talk about some of the material he's actually given. It may not have been the top flight stuff. And I, I'm not sure if he's a, a good enough improvisational guy to, to make it make it work. I think he does really good when he give it. He's got lines. I think he really digs into the lines, and does a lot of weird things with them. But I think sometimes when you're having, you're, he's having to make stuff up on the fly. Probably not the start strongest point. No. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else from it. There's a Wicker Man reference at the end. Yes. Um, that was good, but I think that yeah, that's all the the good cage moments from it. I think. Yeah. So now we're gonna go to the part where we always do um, start going with the cage categories. Uh, who we're gonna say was responsible for this. Um, do you want to start with the director or do you want to start with the writer? Which we actually have a second writer this time. We've been going through. I was going to say, I thought it was the same person for some reason. There, there's a, there's actually a two writing credits on this one. So we actually have two people to blame on that. Um, and then we have the cast. I, 
let's start with the cast because I think we both are going to agree with the cast is probably the least least problematic part of the whole movie. I thought everyone did a really good job. I thought Pedro Pascal was a lot funnier than I remember him being in any other role. Um, because I mean, what he's been on Narcos and then he's the Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. What else. He's done a lot of like things like that. But um, I thought he was really good. Um, I thought whoever played Luca, the the cousin that turns out to be actually in charge, um, mm-hmm. he he reminded me of a bad guy from um. <sighs> Far Cry, Far Cry Three. No. They have a, a crazy drug lord, and he was—that's basically the what he was playing there. You know, I thought all the cage stars were really good. Yeah, I did too. I didn't really have any problem. I thought the daughter did a good job. Uh, the the wife, um, who's been in a million different things, is usually as the wife, um, Sharon Horgan. And we should also point out that I don't think Nicholas Cage actually even has a daughter in real life. I think if I remember, right, he has two sons. He has two sons and he's having a third child I yes. think, soon too. So that complete part of the, the whole movie is actually uh, completely fictionalized, which is probably one of the, I, I doubt he would have, if they would have had sons, he would have probably even, he may have actually asked them not to write that because that would be hard to play. Um, yeah. But I really thought that the wife was like that nice mix up. You understood exactly why she was mad all the time. And yet she was never overly overbearing. And when she called him on that honest crap, it was like, yeah, somebody needs needs to because this is getting ridiculous. Um, Pedro Pascal, I think he always says good. I love this performance. I think he was hilarious. And this is the kind of thing where if somebody enough people see this one, they'll know that they can put him in all sorts of stuff and they don't have to put, put him a helmet on him. Which I bothers me with the Mandalorian. People say they like him in the Mandalorian. I'm like, anybody can be. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even recognize his voice. Knowing it's him, I still don't recognize his voice most of the time. Yeah. It's, it, he's, it, anybody could talk through an intercom and, and walk around in a suit of armor and probably play that part. But, eh. So, <laughs> was it Paco? And you said Lucas, or is it Luca or Lucas? Is Paco Leone? And then there's a couple other bad guys in there too. I think all those were good. I could have maybe like he could have the bad guy could have turned it up a little bit at the end. Yeah, it's weird. I felt like they spent their time in kind of weird spots. Like I would have wanted to see more of Luca being like the, the bad guy, like you said. And it's weird. There's another he has that person that falls in uh, Carlos. I felt like they cut out the beginning of that story. Like I felt I thought. I don't know. Carlos was just like in a bunch of scenes, but none of them added anything to his character at all. Yeah. And at the end, they try to convince him not to kill them. He still tries to kill them. Like it was a weird character arc for him. I thought he was kind of pointless. Yeah. That was, I mean, that whole, that whole part of the, the story was really not well. I don't wasn't think it was well done. Uh, we already said Tiffany Haddish and, and the other guy, they were both good. Um, the only other person to talk about it, I guess, is Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris played the same person he always does, the smarmy um, douchebag. And yeah. once again, he nailed it. Um, he, but he it was that. nice because they had him at the beginning of the movie and kind of like pulled you right away. It's not going to be a like a perfectly realistic movie. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, the whole thing was good. Um, okay, so the first person I want to talk about is uh, besides the actors are Tom Gormican, the director, and he also has writing credits along with Kevin Eaton. Um, 
I have not heard of anything that, I mean, I've, I've heard of a couple of TV shows they've done. Um, and Gormick directed one, a movie called that awkward moment, which I, I've heard of, but I've never seen. Um, I would say probably if you look at the writing credits and, the, and everything else in the directing credits, it's pretty obvious what I think the main problem with this is, is they are used to writing for TV. Um, they're not, and maybe not great TV. So if you put those two things together, that might explain a lot of the problems in the entire movie, which I would say pacing, char- character development, everything that went into it. Um, and, now, and their comedy is was uh, pretty much created almost completely by the actors. There wasn't actually very much that was written for them. I'm guessing even the funny parts between the two, the two agents was probably almost all ad-libbed. Yeah. Because that did not sound like anything else that was said in the movie. No, that was like the only like well-written, like you're saying, only in my opinion, like the well-written part of it. Um, I don't know. Part of the funniness comes from the fact, I think, though, that like the script wasn't very good. The the overarching idea is really good, but the actual script itself was not. No. And it's just like, I think it's because they're being so dry with their delivery of everything. But um, yeah, even even like at one point, Nicolas Cage is saying, well, it's when he first meets CIA, he says the CIA is wrong um, about Javi and the CIA acts all like holier than thou about, oh, well, you obviously know so much more because of your your acting. Um, but then it turns out like he's correct about it, but that doesn't really pay off because the agents get killed off screen. Are they, kill, are they actually killed or are they, I don't even know if they're killed or if they I, just... The, I, I think the guy was dead because they never showed him, but he was always in the background, leaned over in his chair without being caught. But uh, yeah, Tiffany Haddish, they shot it very specifically, in my opinion, to make it so she could come back at the end of the movie. Like they didn't like, it seemed like she was going to be fine and then like come help them or something. Well, or even that both of them, I mean, they missed all these points where like, if you're making this movie about, first of all, they made a movie about them making a movie too. And the movie was basically going to be a movieized, like a, a Hollywood version of what they went through. And so basically they, the whole movie is also about the whole writing process and how everything is like formulized and everything else. And at the end, they miss every single point they could have done, which is having both of the agents there at the movie premiere, having, you know, some type of thing, and then having it wrap up. I mean, when they wrapped up at the end, it was really nice with the movie, with them, him and his family watching the movie together. And then they went back and they watched uh, Paddington, oh, too. Paddington too, which is actually, I mean, could actually be said as a co-star in this movie because it was... <laughs> yes, mentioned constantly yeah actually we missed that one that was probably actually it's probably the best entire scene of the entire movie but that was more pedro pascal but yeah. what's, your, what's your favorite movie paddington 2 or your third favorite movie was paddington 2 because eh, how could that be it it's like because i cried it was like it was was it con air con air uh, uh the cat. some weird artsy german film from the 30s that nicholas cage actually really likes caligari the, the yeah the and then Paddington too Paddington too favorite because he cried all the way through and it made him want to be a better man and that was there was that line and I I once again I'm like I'm watching this I'm going that scene was so well written it's almost like they wrote that scene and the, oh well the rest of the movie's basically done now yeah and. <laughs> 
And, but at the same time, I don't know. Pedro, he should get, I mean, he should get some kind of honorable mention for the acting in that scene alone because yeah. I, I went and watched Paddington too because of that scene. And by the way, I do want to be a better man and I can't, I can't recommend Paddington two more than, I mean, it is actually, it is, it is a funny, hilarious movie. And at the end, uh, I didn't want to cry all the way through, but there were two good places where you want to cheer up at. So. Yeah. I think Pedro Pascal, the writing was good between the two of them, like building the relationship. I thought mm-hmm. like all those scenes were pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but then it, again, it seemed like kind of weird because like they introduced Luca and you can tell there's something off about it. Like he's acting weird through the whole movie, but they don't tell you why until like the last 30 minutes. Um, I don't know. I just thought there was a lot of not going on. And I know both my wife and my mom were like confused with how many things were happening on the screen. Well, and then your and then your brother was as as we shut and he was sitting next to me as we were watching it in the movie theater. And then when it went off, he was the famous quote of, "What the fuck was that?" And I've never actually heard him say that word before. And no, he said, he "Does not curse." <laughs> does not curse. <laughs> and the, at the end of it, it was like he's looking at the screen and he goes, "I forgot what movie he was comparing it to." Oh, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. For some reason, to him, is the worst movie ever made. We should probably preface this by saying, perhaps I think it's because I think it's Ian watched it all the time. Oh, it's a oh, it's a pretty funny movie, but it's not one you want to watch ad nauseum. No, and those two. I anyway, I would say he's probably not uh, a movie critic by any shit. He's got very specific tastes, which are not always yes correct. Um, I'd worry about saying that on here, but I don't think he listens to us. So I think we're fine. No, he doesn't. He doesn't listen to us. He doesn't respond to us ever. It's fine. <laughs> but I, the I don't know. I, I think first of all, if you're gonna if you're gonna fix this movie at all, I would probably the first thing I'd do is probably cut what twenty minutes, at least. Yeah, uh, the end part. I mean, I understood the whole end part where they're having the. But they could have really tightened that up. The director obviously has never directed action, and I don't think he's ever directed comedy, which seemed to be the two hinge points. I would have rather seen this directed by, they should have grabbed somebody who knew, used his script, and they grabbed, I know he's, you know, one of the, the guys that directed one of his original hits. Like, go back and grab the guy that did face. I mean, I, woo might not be the right guy, or I think Tony Scott isn't around anymore. But one of those guys, grab somebody who's a, an action director and have him direct that and just cut that thing down to like a minute, a minute, you know, minute by minute, hour and a half movie. And then that's it. Well, they could have even had like, uh, uh, there's a lot of individual scenes, like Javi jumping out of the car is like funny and it's supposed to be like a dramatic moment. But then they, uh, like he doesn't actually slow anyone down. I no. think he flips one of the cars, but then three cars make it through. <laughs> and they want you to think he got killed but everyone knows he didn't get killed. Um, they do that quick cutaway as a, the car is about to hit him. Um, I think that was, I mean, that was the perfect thing. He gets out and he's going to do this. And of course, nothing they do works. And even the final scene where, I mean, that was, I think it was a good one. You know, Nick Cage is Nick Cage all of a sudden out of nowhere, but we had to wait. The switch, for, the switch that Demi Moore and the, uh, 
whoever was playing the da- daughter was really funny because uh, it switches to almost like the Michael Bay filter uh, yeah. on the ending scene. Like, right. And then, like you said, he's being like Nicolas Cage in it. And um, yeah, it was, it was so dumb. Like, but just the scene itself was like it was as stupid as it would be in a movie about it. And this where they, I, I don't know. This is like, let's why, why not get Michael Bay? Get Michael Bay just to edit it for him. Hey, get him just to spend a half an hour and and or a half a day back in his editing room and just cut it together how he would cut it together and go with it like that because it really was like a t a lot of it was made for tv movie pacing and everything else it was almost also it was just so slow in some areas that a lot of the stuff didn't work nicholas cage is not great at physical comedy so maybe not put him in a thing where he's breaking in he's trying to climb on the side of a building and yeah. a bunch of other stuff they just put him in bad situations where it really isn't isn't the greatest thing nicholas put him in a place where he's talking and he's and he's talking more than he should would would have made a lot more sense than if that scene when they catch him put him on truth syrup i don't know do something like that so just having having go just just had him do the uh i mean he had some simple that thing they should have just had him like interact with the person right afterwards instead of doing the out the window Um, yeah like like you're saying try to talk his way out of it or something yeah it was weird that was what that was another one of the scenes that just felt kind of out of place like, I don't know, it felt different than the rest of the movie. And I don't know if that's because, like, the writers, like, went back and forth on writing some of these parts or what. But, like, it felt, it didn't feel like the same person, like a cohesive story throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and I think, I think they probably, there's probably a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. There should have been more on the cutting room floor. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If I, was, was a- I was looking because you, you were mentioning other directors they could have brought in. David Green, David Gordon Green is the name of the director that Nicolas Cage is reading for. He's an actual director. Yes. Um, and even he did a bunch of, he's done Halloween and a bunch of scary movies. And you already have him on set. Yeah. I don't, I, so uh, many solutions. Well, then, I mean, if you look at even the, I went through all the credits, even the producer credits and stuff like that. And there's just not a lot of people. The The producers basically look like she'd done some, some Disney stuff. Uh, you know, I, I don't know there. I, it was a great idea. They got cage in there. And once they got him in there, you would think at that point, now it's time to go. Let's get some people in there. Let's get this for real. Well, and they kind of, it seems like they kind of lucked into it being as good as it is because Nichols cage originally wasn't going to do it. Pedro Pascal wasn't originally the other guy. Um, yeah. I don't think the movie works without Pedro Pascal. Oh no. At least not with the, we looked at the actor that they, I, he's not in anything I've ever seen before. The one Pascal replaced. Um, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly if it, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't work. Pedro Pascal made the movie work. Yeah. He was the comedy. He was also the part that was the heart. Nicholas Cage brought exactly what he was supposed to, which was Nicholas Cage. Pedro Pascal brought everything else. And that's, you know, and once again, we cut out, you know, 20% of this movie. We're not saying they're waiting for the end of the movie by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's mostly in my book, it's mostly the writing. I thought the scenes that were shot were shot. Well, it was, yeah. like, it was a pretty, pretty movie, but then again, it's set in Spain. So I feel like getting to film on an Island. Yeah, and I think they're going to look good. They framed, I mean, everything they framed, they did, it did, it was, I mean, there was no part where you're going, oh my gosh, this isn't who shot this. It looked like a movie all the way through. And like, like when we're watching The Wicker Man, 
there are parts of that looked honestly looked like just somebody was shooting someone had a camera was shooting like a student film or something yeah so that was not part of that but once again we get into that conundrum that the director and the writer are the same person um and then when we're talking about pacing and how where you cut the movie and stuff how much of that is the director too so these i mean these are all the problems that we have run into every single movie it seems like I think the next couple of movies we do, we need to make sure that the writer and the director have nothing to do with each other at all. That would make this segment much easier, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so wait, so 67, so what's that, 33? Yeah, 33. Okay, so now we come to the part where we're going to score it. 67, 33. Do you have a... I have not actually written this one down. I usually try to write this down. I'm going to say there. I have no problem with any of the casting at all. I mean, I would, there's some casting what if kind of things that we could have done here and there and sprinkled them in, but I don't think any anybody in this cast did a bad job. And so I'm I'm giving the cast zero percent. This was That's a Hollywood. I was going to do also, yeah. Hollywood cast. This is this is good. So I guess the next thing comes down between the writing and the directing. Do you have a? I do. I don't know. Maybe seventeen to a. Uh writing and 16 to the directing it's pretty even like you're saying like if we're going to say the director uh, is responsible for the editing part too um, yeah yeah i'd probably go a little bit more to the writing because i think that was they could have done more on the whole thing a lot of it just seemed like this may wrote wrote down that we're gonna have a chase scene i mean there was just too much stuff in it and then also some of the stuff that was said wasn't wasn't great um, the comedy writing wasn't great, too. It really feels like the, the actors are the ones that brought it all in. Um, also, the writer came in, came up with the idea of Nicky Cage and putting that guy in there. And he wrote he wrote all those lines. And that really is the, uh, that was just the, that was the part where it's like, what are we doing here? Even wrapping up the movie, it was kind of disappointing that they had him do his yeah, that, Nicky voice to end it. Yeah, but that... Was that the writer? Was that director? I don't know. I'm going to give it, I'm going to go, since we got 33, I'm going to go 20% to the writing, 13 to the director. That works for me too. too. Yeah. I, 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 that guy is the one to blame for the whole thing, but we should also thank him for making this even possible. Yeah. Because he, he wrote the movie. So, I mean, it was his own original idea. Yeah. And he got everyone bought onto it. And also, I, th- I really think this is, I think uh, there's been a lot, we've been reading a lot of news articles about Nick Cage and uh, financial problems and some of the reasons why he's doing all this stuff. And this really does seem like maybe this is kind of his way of putting a period on this end into this part too. It doesn't sound like he's going to be cycling through so many movies at this point either. I think he's out of kind of out of the woods. I mean, there's some more that are going to keep coming in, but it sounds like he's decided to dip his toes into actual feature filmmaking again versus direct, direct a streaming or what used to be called direct to video. Well, he's got uh he's got the Joe Exotic thing coming out, mm-hmm. which I think is Amazon. Um, yeah. But yeah, he has Renfield where he's playing Dracula. And I've never heard of the other couple of movies that he has in post-production. The Old Way and the Retirement Plan. What was the first one again? The Old Way. Oh. Uh, yeah, I've actually I I read I can't remember everything I wrote about them, but those actually seem like real honest to God movies that were he's not filming for five days to be in oh this uh the retirement plan sounds good um his daughter 
gets caught up in a criminal enterprise that puts their lives at risk. She turns to the only person who can help, her estranged father, Matt, currently living a retired beach bum in the Cayman Islands. Perfect. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Matt has a, has, has a past. Yeah, Maybe. I think it, it continues his pattern of only having a single name in a lot of these movies. He only has like a first name or a nickname. Uh, all right. So I would like to, out of all the movies, um, our next movie we're doing actually is going to be National Treasure. Yes. So that'll get us to 10. I think next, next time we do National Treasure, then I think we should do a, a, our 10 list. We'll rank the movies we've done so far. And then yeah. maybe every 10 will we'll re-rank that list again. Um, but this one's up there pretty high uh, out of all of them. I think between this one, um, The Rock, I thought it was going to be a lot higher than it was, but really. After the Rock I watched was kind it, of a letdown after hearing about <laughs> The Rock for so long and then finally watching it. I was like, ah. Oh. This is not, it, it's not as good as I remembered it either. But I mean, so many things. And it wasn't like I was a kid when I was watching either. I was like, well, into my 20s. So this was not a. A big surprise. This one was good. I loved it. Nicholas Cage was Nicholas Cage. Um, and that looks like, I think we're about to the end of this one then. Yep. I would recommend to see it. Um, unlike some of the other movies we, we went through, this was actually had a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to offer. Nicholas Cage and Pedro Pascal worked well together. Hopefully they'll get, get back together on something else at some point that has a little better story to it. Maybe Nicolas Cage will show up in uh, The Mandalorian at some point. Which would, that would probably, be incredible. He could play a bounty hunter. It's come to yeah. settle a score. He could be Dengar, the return of Dengar. Oh, yes. That would be. <laughs> Knowing him, though, he'll want to play like he'll play some guy behind a bar or something like that. That'll be completely off. That'll be fine, too. Wearing so much makeup, you can't tell it's him. He's probably already been in The Mandalorian. We just don't even yeah. know it. He's probably a stormtrooper. Um, all right. Well, that's good. Like I said, next time we're going to do the national treasure, uh, Malcolm's personal favorite. This one's been the unbearable weight of massive talent and in, in our podcast, the cage equation. Thank you for joining us again. I'm Drake Mickelson, Malcolm Mickelson, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Like, thank you very much at the end. I think that's perfect. <laughs>